Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored to welcome back one of our very favorite guests. And because it's Halloween, an absolute treat, Sioux City Explorers broadcaster, Dan Vaughn. Dan, thanks for rejoining us this week. You bet. I just pounded down like four pieces of Halloween candy, so I'm ready to go. I've got a whole big bowl here. Ready to go. He's jazzed up and ready to give out candy, it sounds like. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. A day so, early, but I'm ready so to Dan, go. So, Dan, we're not going to talk baseball at the moment here. Let's just talk about uh, what, what is, what, what's Dan Vaughn got going on as Halloween's approaching here? Like a favorite holiday moment of, uh, or a memory from Dan Vaughn's childhood about Halloween. How do we start with that? You know, recently uh, it was the night, the Halloween weekend, I took my oldest out to Texas Tech for a visit, and initially uh, – she didn't want to go to Tech. She had already looked out in the summer and went out there. It was hot and way in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, my wife calls and says, I got some bad news. She says, uh, sorry, but she didn't like Tech, and she's not going to go to Tech. And I'm like, that's okay, no problem. Well, fast forward a few months later, hey, can we go to Lubbock this weekend and check out Texas Tech? It happened to be Halloween weekend. All the students were dressed up, have a big time. And uh, I think that kind of helped convince her to go to Texas Tech and she went and get her undergrad and graduate degree. The other other memory is, is just as a kid, you know, I I, I loved it, man. I, I loved the whole thing because I grew up, in, you know, in a major city, and we'd have to trick-or-treat in our neighborhood. Then my dad would pack us up and take us to my aunt and uncles and to my grandparents. And so you get, like, the bonus round trick-or-treating back in the day. So I love that part of it. So uh, it's always one of my favorite things, and uh, it, it's kind of sad. I don't know how it is in you guys' neck of the woods, but it just seems like every year – we get fewer and fewer of the kiddos, but uh, we're still prepared. We got a big bucket right here, ready to go. So, what right would what would little Danny Vaughn be wearing to go trick or treating? Oh. Are we talking about a little Dallas cowboy here, or I I was all and this, you know, a lot of kids like the you know, we were my wife and I were talking this last night. I'm not a big scary movie guy, so my costumes would always tend to be sports. Uh, Cowboy related, yeah, usually, or you know, an, you know, my dad would uh, he played you know in college at Hart and Simmons at Abilene, and I'd wear one of his jerseys, or I'd dress up as a baseball player or a ranger, who you know, whatever. I, that was usually more my my speed. I very I've never dressed up as any kind of ghost or goblin or vampire, and it's just not my thing. And and I always was very very sports related, very. Uh, It'd be Roger Staubach or a Tony Dorsett look. You know, Dan, we're going to jump into some some deep controversy right off the bat. Okay, I'm just I'm just going to throw this out there. We're just, we're just going to live with the audience being mad about whatever. But I got to tell you, there are some candies that I just never understood why anybody gave away, and Smarties and candy corn are at the top of my list. So so just give me your. Why is anybody giving this candy away for Halloween? Well, you know, the Smarties are kind of, I don't, I, I like them because they're kind of like little baby tater, uh, tater tots. Uh, what are the little ones? Uh, the, the, what are those called? The, the little smaller the versions. The tiny? Yeah, the little, they're kind of smaller. I say tater I call them the wrong thing. That's a different food. But they're the, uh, the smaller version. I always would have a problem with those. I'd unwrap them. They'd wind up at the bottom of my bucket. So I'd wind up with a, a, one in a wrapper, the rest of them scattered around the bottom of the bucket. I would never find those. Uh, candy corn, 
No one likes it. I'm going to be controversial here because in our house, candy corn is always in our little, like, uh, guest bowl. You put your little, you know, if you have guests come to the house, we've always got a bag of candy corn in the fall. And I like the candy corn mix with the big uh, little jack-o'-lanterns of them, too. Those are kind of cool. But uh, the candy for me, gosh, you know, I never understood kind of like the the ones like paydays and things like that. I'm a Snickers and Three Musketeers and Reese's guy. You start putting peanuts on the outside and stuff, I kind of, I'm just not a big fan, but I'm with you, the Smarties, because they always get unwrapped. Candy corn I don't give away, but I like to eat. So I'm kind of in the middle there with you, but I can't think of one that I just totally hate, although I'm old enough to remember, and you guys may remember too, uh, back in the day, sometimes you'd get folks that would want to uh, give you like uh, homemade stuff like a, uh, a caramel apple, and I'm wasn't a huge fan of those either. So or candy apples, wasn't a big fan of that either. Now you can't get those, but not a huge fan back in the day, guys. Now just give me, give me any day, give me any day the Reese's peanut butter cup or the Three Musketeers. Those are good choices. You know. You know Steve Montgomery told me once that his son has to mark the Reese's peanut butter cups when he was a kid. So, like, he got 23 of them or whatever because dad was always taking them. Yep. <laughs> so I don't, I don't doubt them. I don't doubt Mongo doing that. I don't doubt that. And, you know, growing up in a, growing up in a house like I did with, with four kids, we actually had a, we had an equal kind of a, a communal system that, you know, if I had 20 Reese's, the boy my brother had it, so did my sister, my other brother, we all, we kind of, we had that same thing going on too. But I will throw one more piece of candy out there. I will say this. I love Junior Mints, but I only eat those in the movie theater. They're movie theater candy. I don't eat them anywhere else but the movie theater. I know it sounds weird, but when I go see a movie, i got to have a Junior Mint. Got to. You know, the other one I didn't understand as a kid was bit of honey because it took like an hour and a half Ooh. to eat one little little thing. So uh, never a fan of that either. Well, well that's like those, go- those old gobstoppers that would take forever to dissolve too. And they're probably yeah. still in my stomach from back in the from summer camp days back in the day. The 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 uh, oh, I mean, I mean, it was sweet tarts. When I was talking about the little the little little ones were like the little versions of sweet yes. those big sweet tarts. That's what I was thinking of. I didn't mean tater tots, but. Boy, you can tell my mind's not where it needs. So you got me talking food again. What's wrong with you guys? Are you guys ready for my takes here? Sure. Please. Lay them on us. Candy corn is basically flavored wax. <laughs> exactly. If you're gonna have if you have a choice between candy corn or like a flavored wax, Give me the wax teeth. Remember the wax teeth they used yes. to give out? Yes. I was thinking those and when you both- said that. I was thinking those. I, would, I remember those little packages of wax mouths. You put them in your mouth and it had a funny, give you a funny mouth. Yes. We had those. Yes. And Junior Mints, Junior Mints go great with watching a surgery Seinfeld reference. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, that's a Seinfeld reference, and if you watch that show, you know exactly. I know exactly the episode. Yes, 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 yes. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> well, what was oh, the kid, what was what candy did Kevin Luco hate getting as a kid? Oh boy, I'm, bit of honey was like you mentioned. Was that was one of them that didn't really care for, 
anything that wasn't chocolate. I'm a chocolate guy. Yep, yep. If you get uh, Skittles, don't have the time for them. Starburst, yep. take them. It's, once again, flavored wax. I got to have chocolate. I, I could do salted nut rolls. Those are fine, but it's got to be, usually it's got to be chocolate or something to that extent. Anything that tastes like an unnatural food product, no. I couldn't do it. Don't 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 bug me with fruit. Caramel apples, I was always worried about like a filling coming out or yeah. something catastrophic <laughs> happening. Or you know the 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 caramel would always become detached from the apple. So yeah, but yeah, I'm, that was I'm my take on it. I'm with you, Kevin. And the thing about it is, too, is that, you know, I mentioned having the, the, all those siblings. We literally, we, we, my youngest brother liked more of like the the fruity kind of ca- candies, the Starburst and things like that. So we'd work almost like a baseball trade. We'd actually work out trades where, okay, you want my Starburst? I get your Three Musketeers, right? So we would we would work out trades after we came home with our spoils in like one big pile, and we'd work deals out because we'd get the more – for me, it's chocolate. I wanted more chocolate. My, my youngest brother wanted more of the little softer fruity candies. And it, we'd, go to, we'd, we'd go to a hot stove Halloween. Yeah, you know, you, have to tell you guys were talking about that. I thought, you know, a good thing to do would be have a draft. Everyone collects their candy, put it in a pile, and then have a draft. There you go. I do that. I do that. I do that. Oh, uh, it's a great yeah. holiday, though. And I, I, I just worry that we. I just hope I get some trick or treaters at least, at least one this year, at least more than one. You know, I have to tell you my favorite trick or treating moment. I, I just I got to throw out of here, you guys. Is that one year? I mean, it was like seventy three, nineteen seventy three. Raleigh Fingers, great Oakland A's bullpen guy, um, yep. lived like two streets over from my house. And one year, he gave every kid that came to his door five dollars. Now, nineteen seventy three, oh. for a seven or eight year old kid, that was an That's enormous scary. amount of money. <laughs> so. That's like, like wow. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah, I gave away probably five thousand dollars that night or something like that. You know, you got to figure yourself. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> so it's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy for sure. Uh, well, before the, we start we the crabby old lady, we always had the crabby old lady down the street from us, and people were scared to go to her house because, well, usually it smelled like urine for one thing, and yeah. uh, secondly. The rumors always went around that Annie Cushman always put pins in the candy. So everybody was scared to get candy from her place. The, every block. There's always, always got to be one in the neighborhood. Yeah, well, it's sort of like the whole, you know, the sandlot with the, with the, with the dog. You know, there's always that one yeah. urban legend in their neighborhood. And it's funny, as I got older, I realized that one of the, one of the worst houses on my block had the best candy. And it was like, but you didn't realize that until you're like in sixth grade. My first, you know, third and fourth grade, I had no clue. But in sixth grade, boy, I figured it out. They had the best candy because they're the urban legend. They were these supposedly the, the, the bed and great lights and the house was supposedly haunted. But yet they were the best candy. So it's always funny how that worked out. Before we talk a little American Association baseball with you, Dan, your, your team's out there playing in the World Series here tonight. You got to be pretty happy with an early lead there in Game Three. 
Yeah, it's uh, yeah. The, the dog and I are sitting here. He's uh, he's fine until mom gets home. Mom actually was is out at a uh, tutoring event, and and I'm pretty calm. But when mom's here, he it's like we're watching football. So it's he's he's okay right now. But yeah, it's so far so good. But you know, I, I I posted this on my social channels, and having a chance to go to these things in the past, playoff baseball, and I even believe this at our level too. And the American Association is a different thing altogether. I don't care if it's, you know, 300 people in the stands or 40,000 people. It's a different animal altogether. And your team's in it, a team you follow and grew up with, even better. So, you know, that's, that's, that's my take. I love playoff baseball. It's different than what you – I mean, it's the same game you play in July, but it's not the same game. It's a totally different game. You know, I have a feeling – I have a feeling Texas is going to win because, Dan, let's face it, um, the baseball gods, lowercase, were not on the side of your Sioux City Explorers in the playoffs. And I got to wonder if it was creating a higher calling, which was your team, the Rangers, winning it all for the first time. Uh, and be, that'd be something else. I would, I would definitely take that uh... – that, that one off, I would suppose, because it was, a, you know, for about really for the better part of game uh, three and the seventh inning, I felt felt pretty good about what the ride might be like back to uh, Sioux City for the finals, but uh, it didn't work out that way. But to see the Rangers go this way is it's pretty cool, and and it's it's what what's really neat about baseball in this market is that you know the the Cowboys always dominate the headlines if they do anything. I mean, no matter when the Cowboys stink, it's still headlines, right? That's a big deal. But to see another team step up, and we've got all the major, I mean, we've, we've got all the major teams. We got every every sport that can be played in this country has got a team here, and it's one of the, you know one of eight cities that's like that in the country. And that government, the Cowboys, at the top of the heap. But it's been great to see Ranger fever, the Ranger excitement, and just everything. You know, you know, Brad Allred and I, for example, with Cleburne do high school football together. And we're we're broadcasting high school football the last couple of weeks, and while we're broadcasting, we've got a monitor going on in there. We're all checking the monitor to make sure the what the score is in the baseball game. So it's it's been fun. It's been a fun fun deal, and I I'll take the trade, I suppose, from the Explorers. Well, let's talk some Sioux City Explorers with you, Dan. Um, you know, I I personally think that this was the most impressive job that Steve Montgomery has done. And that's saying a lot because he's, he's been probably one of the top two managers in the league over the last 10 seasons and uh, must have been a lot of fun for you to watch everything that went on with this team this year. Yeah, and luckily, you know, and I, I mentioned this to you guys a little bit, I think, in the summer or right before the season, but even, you know, I have a relationship with him. I knew knew him. We we had a pretty good of all the managers in the league besides Greg Taggart and Joe Calpietra. I knew him very fairly well, and I have a pretty good relationship with Anthony Barone. But Steve, I've known for a number of years, and I I was amazed at just his his thoroughness, his uh, his passion. You know, I knew he cared. And sometimes, as a visitor, or you're watching on on you know on on stream you see a guy arguing with the umpire or stealing a base you think oh what's going on here 
but his passion he has for the game, his passion he had for the explorers and has for the explorers in the city and for what uh, John Roos is trying to build there, what he's trying to build. He's just a real passionate guy, and I love watching him go about his, his business. It was, a, it was a real refreshing thing that I was uh, uh, just glad to be part of because I, I, I'm not saying there aren't passionate folks in the league, because there are, but I really believe Mongo is as passionate as they come and his it wears his heart in his sleeves sometimes, and it 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 probably comes off that, that he's a uh, sometimes a little hard on the umps, but he is a passionate guy, and that heart in his sleeve is a guy that it fun to be a part of. And I just I loved it. I I you know, I, I was talking to them today uh, to the organization today and early this morning, and and just just I miss them. I miss that group really bad right now, and I'm looking forward to being around them in 24. As you watch the season develop, the team got off to a fast start and then struggled for a while, just really not sure what kind of offensive production you were going to get at most nights. But, boy, got on a hot spell down at the end of the season. And as you mentioned, we're just a few innings away, it looked like, from advancing to the championship series. How impressed were you just with the way that this team performed and, and continued to find ways to win? Yeah, it, it, that was kind of the, the thing you – you watch what Mongo's done over the years, and he's always tried to get as many arms as he could, really bullpen arms and starting starting pieces, and kind of let the offense kind of take care of itself. And I don't mean he didn't. We don't we try, don't try to find pieces, but I think the pitching kept the thing afloat until the bats came around, until the offense clicked, until you know you had a couple situations where you had missed a couple of pieces. You know, Matt Lloyd, for example, was playing in the Pan Am qualifier for about two weeks and you missed him for a chunk of time when the team was not playing real well. You you had you had that going on. You had uh, you know a couple of little, little odds and ends injuries. You had you know, you know the team wasn't all really together until really back until August. You finally got everybody in August together and that sort of kind of kick started the offense. Uh, you know, great mood getting Daniel Lingo as well. That was a huge kind of piece that kind of made everything else just fit a little bit better. But, you know, when you when you get good pitching, and, and especially in our league, you get two, three really good quality starters that you can go out there and count on every fifth day, that's going to keep you afloat and keep you going to long extended slumps because, you know, if you're getting six innings, seven innings from your starter, you know, three days in a row, then, okay, your next two guys are going to battle a bit but you're able to stay in those ball games. You're going to win those early games in a series or those first three ball games, and that's exactly what kept Sioux City from going through extended slumps. And hey, the pitching was there pretty much throughout. I mean, Slavin Bates set the tone early. You know, he and Mitch Verberg. I mean, and you won it with Austin Drury as well. And that staff, there really were six starters carrying that thing. And that approach, that that pitching approach was what carried the thing until the offense came around, which eventually did. Do you kind of feel like the team outside of Solomon Bates was kind of like the no-name gang that you knew and a lot of us insiders knew it was a really good team, but when there was discussion among the fans in the league and the league itself about the best players, you never really heard a lot of explorers mentioned in that equation, but yet there they were, you know, battling for a division championship. Yeah, I mentioned this on our show, I think in July on our, our lunchtime show on the on Explorers Expresso, and I think at the time, 
you had Bates, Verberg, you had, uh, this is right around the time, well, Trenton Toplicard already pitched for me for a month for the team, you had Austin Drury, you had Jared Weatherby, you had those five guys, and you had uh, some pretty good work, too, from, from, the, uh, fr- from a couple of spot starts here and there for the bullpen, but in general, I even said, give me these five guys, and granted, yeah, you've got 1A and 1B with, with uh, Verberg and Salma, but I, didn't, I would go to any playoff series with that five group of guys and not be worried, and, and, and you saw it in the postseason, because the postseason, you didn't have Salmon Bates. But you had you know, Austin Drury was great in the postseason. And he was probably, you know, he was one of those names that in July and August, he wasn't getting all-star consideration. But he turned out to be one of the best arms in the league. And I think the little, you know, I always call it the little engine that could, the little explorers that could, kind of lurking in the weeds. And that's sort of the benefit of being in Sioux City in a small town where maybe we don't get the, uh, you know, we don't get the, the, the press and the accolades that a bigger market gets. But we still throw pitches too, and, and do it at a high level. And, and I was I was not worried the postseason about how that rotation stacked out. I wasn't worried all year. I really believe that rotation. It still did. That rotation was as good as anybody in the league. And if it comes back in any kind of form like that next year, we'll be as good as anybody else in the league. And I think that gets magnified too. That in the playoffs, you never heard anybody say especially after Sioux City did not defeat Kansas City. Well, if we would have had Salmon Bates, it, Salmon Bates was rarely even mentioned once uh, he wasn't there because it was almost like, all right, well, next man up, we got we got this covered. It, it, that was exactly right. And, that, that is, and I know that's sort of, a, sort of a, a football mentality, and I, I subscribe to it. I know Mongo does too. I mean, you don't. You those series are so short, and the season, the playoffs get upon you so quickly. You can't worry about that. You can't cry your milk. You can't worry about that. You can't cry over spilled milk. And you know, Salma wasn't available. We knew it. Team went out there, and and, and hey, it was as if hey, next guy is going to do it, and they believed in that. And that's that's what makes baseball and really sport in general. I mean, it's, it's the teams that do that. I mean, look at any sport, and it doesn't matter if it's baseball, tiddlywinks, or whatever. The team that has those next men up mentality. And it's one that had a mentality, has a mentality, and they deliver. That's the key. Those are the ones that make those championship runs and make it to a, you know championship series and whatnot. And and they did it and, and did it did it on a high level. And again, I, I mean, honestly, there, that that night in Kansas City in the seventh inning, that ballpark was dead. There weren't a lot of folks there, but it, it was it was you could feel that that was not going to be their night. You could just tell. And the body language across the way, and then when all of a sudden the bullpen gave way and it changed dramatically. But up until that point, there was no doubt the Explorers were going to go on. And they, of course, didn't. And that's the beauty of the baseball game. You've got to throw strikes. And unfortunately, as great as that pitching staff was, they had a rough outing that inning and didn't survive it. But uh, it, 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 Danger got them away in the finals. And I, I think, there's, think this team is, you know, there, there's enough. I shouldn't say I don't know it yet, but I think there'll be enough of those guys back next year that should vote well. Now, don't be mentioning Kansas City's crowds. We don't know if Brandon Hahn is listening. He kind of takes that personally when we mention the well, great I, attendance I will, I, in Kansas I, City. I, I, I catch a lot of heat those folks, but I do want to congratulate them. They, you know, they won the championship, and 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 what Joe does is what Joe does. It's phenomenal, and you know, I I'm. 
I was once one time I was there, and and I'm not there anymore. I'm happy where I'm at, and just uh, hey, they they won, tipped the cap, and it was hard hard earned. Another ring, and we'll just go try to get them next year. Yeah, you know, I've been meaning to ask you this. I was going to ask this earlier. What was it like going from Kansas City to a rival team with Sioux City? How long did it take you to be the former Kansas City Monarchs broadcaster to be in the voice of the Sioux City Explorers? Was there a transition period where you felt like you were still a little bit of an outsider, or was it just a comfortable situation right off the bat? I'll tell you a little story. When I got there, you know, because I got that job about 36 hours to spare, and I remember walking into the clubhouse to, to, to you know, that first day I got there, and we, you know, remember that, that opening night, I flew into Sioux Falls, would get my car sent up later on, so I get to Sioux City, it's 80 miles away, um, get there at 4 o'clock, games at 7, you know, walk down there to, to greet Mongo, and I'm talking to John Russo, our owner, and, and Tom Backmeyer, GM, and just saying hello because I got to I got to broadcast the game in three hours. And luckily, we get rained out that night. But I got to broadcast in three hours. Then he's starting lineups. So we got to get you know all this stuff going, and I got to get upstairs to figure out which button to turn on. All this. Well, I walk in the clubhouse, and it was uh, Chase Harris, and let's see, Chase Harris, Nate Gherkin, and they were standing there with, with Matt Lloyd, who was standing there listening to it. I had never met Matt. And I was about to report, record a pregame interview with somebody. I didn't know who. And those two guys who were holdover Suicide Explorers looked at me and said, yes, he's here. He's on our side now. You know, they were, they were fired up. And, and they had those players who I know both those guys from, from a different, you know, baseball relationship with them. But the fact that they were opening night saying, yeah, he's here. Dan Vaughn is here. We're glad he's, you know, greeting me like that and, and, and give me a, a, a man hug and, He's what you know. You're one of us now. That kind of deal. That was right away. And I think I mentioned to you as well, 24 hours before that, Steve Montgomery called me and said, "Welcome to the dark side." I always tell that on the air like this last summer. From from that standpoint, I was one of the exes right away. I think the fans have taken some time, and, and rightfully so. And you know, here's a guy that just all of a sudden poof comes out of nowhere. Wait, we've seen this guy before. You know, I'm a long time season ticket holders have seen me before. I recognize him, but you know. They they are a little slower to come around. I think finally, once we got toward July and August, and I started kind of getting used to my what I was bringing to the table. I think now, I think now I'm part of things. But it's, whenever you're new, no matter if you from what rival you're from, whenever you're new, there's always that you know learning period. From a team standpoint, it was arms wide open, and the fans and I have slowly but surely become close, and I, and I, and I love it. I still feel like i got a lot to do there. We have a lot more things to do as far as uh, get closer as well. But, uh, you know, we raised, you know, nearly $1,000 to Ronald McDonald House. That was great. I, would have, I, I was shocked we got that much because, uh, you know, it was a late start, and so that's a big charity I believe in. And, and to be able to raise that kind of money just for a short notice was, was big. So I – I, I think it just depends on who you're talking to. I guess you have to ask the fans in general, but uh, we 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 are seem like we're one big happy family now. I don't know if you caught this on Saturday night, but Connor Ryan still has the keys to the Sioux City Explorers <laughs> Facebook account because yes, they does. were. <laughs> they were going to do a pregame show for his team, his hockey team, the Musketeers. And I'm looking at my phone. All of a sudden it says, 
Sioux City Explorers are live. I think, what is Dan doing at 5.30 on a Saturday night in October that's warranting this? And then I tune in, and it's a couple of the broadcasters with the Musketeers and Connor Ryan. So I thought it was a kind of a fun look for the brief time they're on. My wife and I are about to go to dinner and watch the game on Saturday night, and she looks at me and goes, with a real, real, real look in her face and looks at me oddly. I go, what's wrong? She goes, are you on the air? I go, I'm sitting right in front of you. What do you mean I'm on the air? Yeah, I just got a notification that the Susan Explorers are live, and then I, she showed me, and I realized, and so I caught and I messaged over the weekend. He said, yeah, dang it, I had to. If you know the Facebook back in, like, like some of us do in the business, and it's ha- I've done it before, too. I've, I've actually done Explorers Expresso to my channel, I've done it to Talking Baseball Australia on accident, so it's happened to me before too. But he just—he's uh, like, "Dang it, I got—I got to delete that from my computer." He just—he had a good laugh. We had a good laugh, and he immediately switched over. And yeah, I was—I thought I'd missed something too. <laughs> now you kind of addressed this already, but but just to be perfectly clear, Dan Vaughn will be broadcasting Sioux City Explorers baseball in 2024. That's the plan. I, I sure hope to be there. I, they've not told me anything differently. There's not, but yeah, I, I, I yes, all my stuff's still there. And, and bar, I mean, obviously, if, you know, if 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 something was to happen outside of my control, that you know, by make or call, that's a different story, right? But uh, yeah, split split to meet up there next year, and uh, we were, you know, we're kind of we're in that process now of, you know, the schedule ought to be coming out in the next week or two. Uh, once that comes out, you'll start to see us ramp up some coverage. Uh, we expect to be back on uh, local radio again, and we've got some things. Matt Townley and I, who uh, Matt was our is our producer for our video side, we're going to be doing some things. But uh, it, it's exciting. It's exciting time. Once we get this whole, we've got this whole thing. This you know there was some kind of, and, and I guess you guys are probably going to ask about it anyway. But there was some questions about what was going to happen with baseball in Sioux City and and, and when what would the future be and it seems looks pretty bright and John Roos is committed to uh, you know making that product as is, is, is shining as bright as it can and I know Tom has uh, been working on staffing and all the things that that they go into that and you're going to see even more increased and what people don't realize is that you know there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that were going on last summer to to get ready for 24 that all of a sudden boom we've got to make this uh, wait around and make sure we got a lease thing going on and now uh you know we're all we're all ready to go. So once that schedule comes out, you'll see me ramping up more and doing uh, uh, our shows and things of that nature. So looking forward to it. And, you know, I I just feel like you know I was thinking about that today. You know, I feel like you know I I'm looking forward to having a whole off season to get the broadcast where I want it to be, and I'm looking forward to that. So uh, that that is what, what's my plan. Unless, uh, gosh, I don't know. I guess I guess the Rangers could call. If they call that answer. I mean, fool not to, right? <laughs> well, well, off that great lead-in you just gave me right there, let's talk about, you know, talking to Steve Montgomery a few weeks before the season came to an end, I, I, it seemed like there was some pretty genuine concern that this team would not wind up being back at Lewis and Clark Field, that there could potentially be a, a Northwoods League team, of all things, playing there. Um, was Was that kind of just talk and, and people were hyping it up or would, did, was there like legitimate concern that the Explorers would not be playing baseball there this year? I never felt 
I still, I never felt that that was a problem. I really felt that cooler heads would prevail, that explorers would be, be the long-term tenant there at Lewis and Clark. Personally, I felt that way. But you, but, there, but you know how these things are, where there's smoke and there's fire. And you hear a rumor, and there may be some truth to it. There may not be some truth. I think there was some genuine concern there. I think fans have kind of rallied around it. I mean, there was, you know, I know Bongo was concerned. I mean, sure. I mean, here I was, here I am, my first year there. I'm like, well, dadgummit, I'm going to be here for a year. I'm like, you know, I, cause I, I don't plan on being, you know, do, being Northwoods baseball. I just thought something I would want to do. And I'm like, uh, this is kind of bizarre. But in the back of my mind, I still felt once they publicized and they put both bids out there, both plans out there in the paper and on TV, when you saw the two, it was clearly obvious who the better plan was. And I also thought, too, just from a historical standpoint, the Explorers brand had been the most consistent in that city really since the turn of the, first, uh, turn of the last century. I mean, outside the Sioux City Packers from the late 1800s and into the early 1914 season, 15-16, because they lost baseball for about ten years in the twenties, the, the X's have been the been the brand in town and have been, and I just didn't see that going anywhere. For a place that's got historical ties to baseball, I just didn't see it going anywhere. And I, and I don't I didn't I don't know the lay of the land there like a lot of folks do, and like Mongo does and, and others. But I just never felt like that it was. I mean, yes, it was serious. Don't get me wrong; it's a serious deal when the city government or politicians get involved. Yeah, it's serious. But I just felt like, at the end of the day, cooler heads and the better situation prevail, and I believe that's what happened. Does it provide the team with a little extra motivation to say, hey, let's, let's show this city and let's show these people that doubt us why, why we should be the team in town? Oh, I, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, I, I know that, I know Steve Montgomery feels that way. Uh, I know that John Roos feels that way. I know that, uh, you know, I know for sure, you know, Tom Backmar, our new GM, who came in last March, you know, Tom's got a plan. He's got a, a multi-year plan in place that he and John have come up with, how they want to build the thing and really get back to, you know, let's be honest, Sioux City's never going to be Chicago Dogs franchise or the Winnipeg Gold Eyes franchise, and, and that's okay. It, it, the market doesn't lend itself to that, and that's okay. You're not playing in, you know, you know, the second city or a large 300,000, 400,000 city. You know, you're not playing in a major market. You're playing in a smaller town where everybody knows your name, so to speak. And there's there's disadvantages to that, but there's a lot of advantages to that, a whole lot of advantages to having a small market, small town. There's a lot of things you can really reach everybody. And, you know, this franchise operated very successfully in a small market for a number of years with Shane Trent's is now, you know, Shane is now in Lincoln and running that club, and Shane's a phenomenal guy. He's from the area. Shane's done it before. This club had a lot of success. You guys may recall in the, you know, early days this franchise had great success. So it, it can be done, and John has a plan, and Tom has a plan, but that plan to go forward needed a lease. It needs a place to play. And that's, I think, the, the the big exciting thing is that now that that seems to be, you know, something that they're working on now, that they've decided that the explorers are going to stay and they can work out a lease, that looks like that's, that is going to be able to push that two, three, four, five-year plan, which they've got. They've got they've got those plans in place, and those plans will go forward. And I think everybody's going to work hard to do exactly what you're talking about, Kevin, is, you know, is saying thank you 
providing the best entertainment possible. I think you're going to see everything from our stream to our on-field things to giveaways and group nights are all going to be up because of that. I think this is you're going to see nothing but it, it, ballpark improvements as well, all coming from this. Well, before we dive into 2024, Dan, I know your off-season is never off. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you heading to Australia and what you got going on heading into next year. Yeah, right now doing some Grandview High School Zebra football with Brett Allred, the voice of the Cleveland Railroaders, and we're doing that and some basketball and baseball. Be going to Australia in January. I'm still not sure exactly uh, – what uh, that's going to transpire well, as far as what date I'm going, but it'll be sometime in the second part of the season, uh, back quarter, or back third of the season as well. As a matter of fact, I was on a call today uh, working on some Australia Baseball League records. I'm putting some things together for the league to have them. Uh, uh, you know, the, the records are kind of haphazard, but somehow, some way, my involvement over the years has uh, been able to keep really good records of the Australian home run leaders and all that. So, Put those things together for the league to put their media guide and, and hopefully uh, getting Talking Baseball Australia up and running next month and then making a stopover in Australia sometime in January and then back here for uh, the countdown of the season and uh, doing some high school stuff and just really uh, uh, getting looking forward to getting all that rolling. How about uh, what's going on in the college football world? They got to hear a little bit of baseball from you, but how's your team doing down there? Oh, boy, Texas Tech's terrible, but i still got season tickets, and I'll probably get them again next year. So uh, uh, they, they've had a rough year. They're 3-5, and five, and it's not, not what I expected. But uh, uh, we've, uh, we, my wife and I really love going out to games and turning it into a to big uh, game weekends. Although this week they play a Thursday night game against TCU, so she won't go because she's got to stay back, and I'll come back Friday for the high school uh, football game. But uh, we, it, it's, it's fun for me because – you know, and Kevin, you, you know, Kevin, and you both of you guys cover the sports and so the sports. But for me, football to broadcast football in high school is fun because it's a low pressure, high quality football. And going as a fan to watch college football, I have you know, I have a horse in the fight, yes, or a race, whatever fight, horse in the race. But it, uh, uh, but I'm not broadcasting or having to work it, so I can just be a fan. I love just being a fan and being able to be like everybody else and, and have a cold one and cheer for my team and be pissed off when they lose. That's fantastic. Well, Dan, you know, you're like a super veteran with us, so I know you have a, a great final thought for us here tonight. Well, the final thought is uh, uh, don't be handing out crappy candy because you never know what kind of lasting impression that will leave on a young mind in the future because look what happened to us. I mean, look at our minds. We're, our minds are jumbled clearly because of our crisis of candy. But, no, I, I would say the biggest thing, and I would say always, and it's, it's pretty simple, and I, I, I love it because Brad and I say it, say it together now on the broadcast of the Zebras, just trying to be better, man. It's, it's been a real uh, crazy time in the world right now. There's a lot of things going on that around the globe that, are heartbreaking and 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 are painful to watch, and you got to be shaking your head and just be better to each other. Be better to each other and show a little more love tomorrow, and and let's make sure we give out good candy this Halloween. Don't scar young life with bad candy. Absolutely love it, Dan Vaughn. Thanks for joining us this week. Yeah, Anytime, thanks for doing guys. This. Love you guys. Well, Kevin, uh, always a treat to have Dan Vaughn with us.
Yeah, no tricks about it, right? Absolutely right. And, uh, man, he, he had the right take on candy, too, because anytime you're talking about chocolate, you know you're on the right track to something. Yeah, that's for sure. I think the only chocolate that I would turn down are Heath bars. I don't have the not, – not a fan of the Heath bars. Yeah, so one of those other things is a completely unnecessary candy bar. And, and the, what's the Almond Joy? Is that the one with coconuts on it? Yes. Yeah, I'm just not a fan of that either. Coconut is not, oh. does not need to be with chocolate. Oh, I can, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm on Mounds or Almond Joy, oh, I could do either one of those. Okay, we're having dissent on this. That's all right. That's fantastic. Kevin, do you have a favorite Halloween costume you had as a kid? It was probably my last one. It was like uh, a Minnesota North Stars jersey, about as good as the one you could find at the local sports store. And I went as a North Stars player, had my mini North Stars stick with. And it was the last year I went because I went trick-or-treating for a little while, and then at about like 6.30 or so, um, got back home, and my dad and I went to the North Star game that night. It was fun going up to the game and seeing all these people in costumes. Right on. Outstanding. Well, let's talk about those two city explorers there for a minute, Kevin. And, uh, you know, a team we really weren't sure, I mean, got off to that fast start and then were struggling for a while, and we really weren't even sure if they're going to wind up making the playoffs, but had a nice run down the stretch, nearly made the championship series out there, and, I think we both agree that was one of the finest jobs we've seen from Steve Montgomery in his very storied career. Yes, it was. And there was, you know, there were some decent parts to the team that just all came together. I thought um, the outfielder Oda, I thought when they picked him up, I I think he provided a spark to that lineup too that sort of went under the radar. But, you know, um, Chase Harris didn't, quite have the offensive year that we've seen from Chase Harris, but, geez, I mean, what was getting by him in the outfield, and when Alfredo Hermenez was healthy, he was a great influence behind home plate, and provided something with the bat, too, which um, more than I remember him doing. Yeah, big time. He had a lot of big time power numbers this year. Was just a more complete and all-around player that we that we have seen in any previous season and you know you were talking about this with dan a little bit on the show you know i would not be surprised to see a significant number of these players return next season which is pretty rare for steve it always seems like he has a a fairly big turnover but that doesn't look like to be the case this season and if this if there's 15 16 guys from last year's team on next year's team i I think this is going to be Definitely a team competing for the champ for the for the division title. I think so. And there, you know, there could be that little bit of a chip on their shoulder too, um, coming as close as they did to the championship series and not quite getting there. So it could be a could be a fun situation to follow. Well, Kevin, let's talk a little bit of news around the American Association. The biggest of them uh, came here today as Sioux Falls will retain manager Mike Meyer. Um, came put together a phenomenal season this year, and I, I will say, in the last couple of years, I know there were lots out there who were a little worried that Mike was in a precarious situation with the way the team had performed. But 
Canaries turned things around this year and got a deal in through 2025, so great to see Mike Meyer back. It is, and, you know, the thing in reading a little bit of a of the release that came out today, I thought the thing that stood out to me is that they emphasize what kind of a culture that Mike Meyer is creating with the Canaries. And, you know, this summer I did get ample opportunities to go out to Sioux Falls, and I, I know the ownership group out there, they are big into whatever endeavor they're into, creating a family-like culture, uh, togetherness amongst, if it's a business, the employees, obviously the Canaries, the players. So, you know, Brian Slipka, Tuan Albanese, and all the other guys just, they saw something with Mike Meyer that they really like, and they feel like the Canaries are on the right track to do something special. One other interesting move that happened this week was uh, that Milwaukee a few days ago signed left-handed pitcher Pablo Garabitos, I believe is the way that it said, and right-handed pitcher Mark Simon. I mean, um, Anthony Brown jumping into the market there a little quickly, and I, and I, I got to say, I, I liked these pickups too, Kevin. Uh, Garabitos was a guy who played at AAA Nashville for one game last season, primarily was at Single A Carolina, where he was dominant uh, in 24 appearances, posting a 1.61 ERA and a 6-1 and record for himself. And I thought, wow, you know, this. Is, I mean, usually managers are a little slow on uh, coming out and, and signing guys. But boy, Anthony's not. When he likes his guy, he's going to go out and get him. And he looks like he got himself some quality arms here early on. He did, but you know, there's always got to be that lingering thought. You know, we got him now, but is he still going to be with us come spring training? Because the guy's got that good of a resume, it's very possible that. Uh, major league team could come calling for his services. Very good point, and we see that happen quite a bit. And Anthony's seen that happen himself quite a bit over the last few seasons. As he's come out with some outstanding arms, only to watch them heading towards an affiliate team sometime around February or early March. So, but we like uh, Anthony's a, a aggressive manager out there, and we're liking that he's going out and signing guys already. So it's fantastic. Uh, Kevin, I think that we are uh, not a lot going on. We don't have a schedule yet. We're not probably expecting one for at least another three, four weeks here before that comes out. And good to know we didn't have any exciting American Association news just after we ended our show last Monday. So nice that Sioux Falls decided to retain Mike prior to us doing the show this week. Yes, definitely a thumbs up to Sioux Falls for um, throwing us that bone today instead of waiting till Tuesday. So. That way we could get it on the show. Absolutely. It became one of our new favorite organizations out there. So okay. give them the pat on the back for that. So, uh, Kevin, we're at Halloween time. Do we have a uh, a really exciting shout-out for this week? You know, yeah, not really a Halloween-themed one, but I do want to give one to whoever the genius was that came up with the very addicting sports game, Immaculate Grid. I had heard about this thing earlier in the baseball season. I thought, oh, geez, this is baseball nerd stuff. I'm not going to get into that, too. I already have enough bad habits. But as the season wore on and I started getting into my American Association offseason, I 
it actually started on a shuttle bus going to the state fair one day, and this kid in the back was playing it, and they were asking people for hints. For those that don't know what Immaculate Grid is, it's a grid where you line up six teams and three in the top, three going across, three on the bottom, and you have to name a player that played for both teams. And I actually jumped in. There was a Pittsburgh and Atlanta, and I went all the way back to the early 90s in Sid Bream. But what Immaculate Grid has done for me is made me realize that I am suffering from memory loss from about, oh, Probably about 1999 through current times because it seems like most of my grids involve players from the 70s and 80s. So I'm not sure what's going on with that. You know, uh, Ryan, I hadn't heard of this thing at all, Kevin, until like middle of August or something. And Ryan Zimmerman sent me his uh broadcaster, I should say, the Ryan Zimmerman is a broadcaster for Gary Sousner, not the Milwaukee one, um, sent me his grid of American Association. And uh, and he was like, let's jump in on this, Ross. So we played for a couple of days, and I, I didn't have as much time to devote to that. But I thought that was kind of an interesting little game out there to, to have. So I liked that. Uh, that, that it is kind of fun to especially if you if you know enough people's names and there's enough of a movement around between clubs, which there are, um, to be able to play it. It can be a lot of fun. So uh, pretty cool little deal out there. What I do is I do my version of um, of who wants to be a millionaire, and I, I allow myself a lifeline. <laughs> there you go. So, I, like so I have my people. If I'm looking for an Atlanta Brave, I get a hold of Brad Allred. If I'm looking for a Boston Red Sox, former Saints broadcaster Mike Drew. If I'm looking for a Texas Ranger, I get a hold of Dan Vaughn. If I'm looking for an L.A. Dodger, I get a hold of Sean Aronson. And to tell you where my head is with this, I had was looking for a former Padre and Dodger. I sent it to Sean. Steve Garvey. Exactly. By the time I he could answer me, I had Steve Garvey in my head, and he goes, "Yeah, I was thinking Manny Machado." Like, wow. I mean, Machado is like current and beyond obvious, but here in my head, I'm thinking 1980s and Steve freaking Garvey. <laughs> yeah. I never liked That's the guy. What I'm talking about. Love Steve Garvey. Love love the swing. I, so uh, I hated Steve Garvey because I have flashbacks of the nineteen eighty four NLCS when he walked off Lee Smith and the Cubs in Game Four. Yeah, Jack Brown still He was great when he was a Dodger. I didn't like him as a Padre. <laughs> that that, uh, that here's here a, a fun fact on why I don't believe the uh, the Gold Glove has been a joke to me since that 84 season, Kevin, I have to say, I don't, I, I don't care because I know it's just popular at that point because in 157 games in 1984, Steve Garvey at first base did not make an error, but was not the gold glove winner. It went to uh, 
Keith Hernandez of the Mets. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> How does a guy who didn't make an error at first base the entire year, playing 157 games, not the Gold Glove winner? And I thought, I'm never believing this is a worthless award after that. So that's my fun fact for tonight. Uh, you know, up here, my sh- up here in Minnesota, we we felt the same way because Kent Herbeck was just an absolute magician at first base. You know, Kent was never the most – I mean, he was a big fella, but he never, like, you know, wasn't he, – he, let's just say he wasn't working out or on the treadmill. He was most likely going to be wrestling a guy in the locker room or pulling a prank or something. But that guy in the Metrodome where it was so dang hard to pick up a, a fly ball, there was nobody better – at going into foul territory with his back to the infield and tracking down a ball than Kent Herbeck. I mean, in his stretches at first base, he was just incredible. But because he's in a market like Minnesota, and that was at the height of Don Mattingly's career, Kent never had a sniff at a gold glove, and that was just an absolute shame. And let's remember, he probably is uh, the... Uh, involved in one of the most famous World Series plays of all time when he wound up kind of lifting uh, Ron Gant, if I remember correctly, his leg oh, off. Oh, please, Ron Gant. Ron Gant was a klutz. I didn't say, I didn't say it was uh, that he was wrong. I'm just saying that uh, he, he, he was involved in the play. So, so why, why, there you go. Hey, that's a smart guy. Why, 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 why would he be that far off the base for one thing, and why didn't he slide back in? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell it to you this way, and I said this since since it happened, um, is that if if he actually did something to make Ron Gant be out, and he got away with it, it's a great play. <laughs> I mean, so you know why, why are you mad? I mean, the guy got away with it, and and, so, and he made a great play. So okay, if you can do it, it, it isn't it what we've been told by people like Gaylord Perry for years that. You know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying or, or whatever. Well, okay, there you go. So give Ken Herbeck credit for being a smart guy in that play. I will give my uh, shout-out tonight, Kevin, to our buddy there at the Chicago Dogs broadcaster, Sam Brief, who was named by the league as the broadcaster of the year. You had brought up, uh, I think, about three or four weeks ago that we had not heard about the broadcaster of the year, and we're thinking that wasn't going to be one this season. Um, but finally, they did come out with that. They had social media team of the year. I don't need. I, I don't even know who that was. I don't remember who it was. Um, to be honest with you, and Lincoln, there you go, and a couple of other awards out there, and I don't know what those were either. But uh, congratulations to Sam, though, for uh, being broadcast of the year. He's doing good things out there besides baseball, and uh, always a happy guy that we like to talk to. Yeah, you know, with Sam, if he's if he's ever had a bad day, you wouldn't know it. Yeah, absolutely. A guy who loves his job, loves baseball. We love that about him too. Well, we got a couple things coming up here, Kevin, because uh, Max Murphy will be coming up here in the upcoming weeks. I think we're going to look at Mike Meyer having him come on and talk about Sioux Falls and talk about returning to the club next year. So um, that'll be coming up in one of our upcoming weeks here as well, as well as. Uh, Lake Country Dockhounds infielder Blake DeBerry will be joining us in the next couple of weeks. So we're going to have a busy uh, time coming up here as November kicks off. And for our Thanksgiving show, 
uh, Kevin and I were talking about who would be a great lead-in for that, somebody we can have as our regular Thanksgiving Day guest. I'm going to have to figure out who that would be because I don't think that Jack Michaels is done with college football by then. So we might have to look at somebody else to make a regular, Kevin. I'm not sure who that might be. It's a mystery, we'll call it for right now. Yes, because I mean, after tonight, Dan Vaughn's got Halloween from now on. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, look, I, I, was, I was wondering at first because he was saying that uh, it started out by him saying he wasn't a fan of candy corn. And then he said he always had a container of it for guests. And I was wondering if he was trying to hint that he didn't want any guests at his home. But then he did add that uh, he's a fan of eating it himself. So there we go. So that's all right. Awesome. So uh, Kevin and I want to once again thank Dan Vaughn for joining us this week. For Kevin Luca, I'm Rob Panier. We'll see you next week on This Week in the Association.